Welcome to the Angular Show, an ng-conf podcast where Angular experts and the Angular community come together. The ng-conf team thanks you for listening to this episode of the Angular Show. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. One of today's sponsors is Narwhal, the creator of NX, a set of extensible dev tools for monorepos that help you develop like Google, Facebook, and Microsoft. Founded by two former members of the Angular team, Narwhal is a champion in the Angular community. To learn more about the exciting things happening at Narwhal, head to their website, narwhal.io. That's nrwl.io. The Angular show begins now. All right, everybody, we're back for another episode of the Angular show. How's everyone doing? Excellent. Good, good. It's a Monday morning. It's a little early. The further uh, west coast you go, it's a little earlier. But uh, Alyssa, you're you're Central Time, right? So you're you're a little bit more awake. Jennifer's usually in the same town as you, but today, not Jennifer, so much. Where yeah. you at, Jennifer? She's in the penthouse suite. It looks like. Yeah. Yes, I'm. I'm, and I've got uh, UK Drag Race ready to stream behind me. I'm nice. in London for NDC London. NDC London. Nice. Sounds like that's one of your favorite cons, the whole NDC series. Yeah, they run good conferences. Like they're tech agnostic and um, just like good speakers. Like I've got a lot of really good friends on the circuit, like really smart people who are super unpretentious and fun to party with. So nice. We've got Brian. You're you're our West Coast buddy. That's right. Yep, Pacific time. So, so nice and most, early. Most early for you. Eight eleven. Yep. Eight. It's like so sad. Because when you guys talk about like West and East Coast and like times, I have to like slow down and be like, which one is minus? Really? Which way do I go? <laughs> what dart? <laughs> if anyone gets the what dart comment, come on, tweet at me. Um, all right. So, uh, um, and then we have our guest. We got Ryan Chenky. Ryan, you're in Central Time, or are you in like? Toronto, Eastern, right? Eastern, Eastern time. Eastern, yeah. I'm in, yeah. I'm in Ottawa. So oh, I am Ottawa. Eastern okay. time zone. Yep. Cool. Yep. And uh, yeah, so, you know, not super early for me. I'm relatively awake with my Timmy Hortons in hand and I'm ready to, uh, ready to go. Okay, is so it t- ready, ready to talk I'm about it? That is so cliche. <laughs> ready I to was talk about there, it. I heard so much about this like Tim Hortons. So I was like, okay, I've got to go find one. So like walk in and I'm just like, just kind of. Looks like a place that sells coffee. Like yeah. I don't understand. Like everyone. It's hard to understand Canada for foreigners. Donuts. It's Canada runs yeah. on Tim. That's that's very true. Wait, it's kind of like Dunkin'. Kind of made sense. Yeah. Okay. Really? <laughs> I never yeah. even heard of this thing. What? Yeah. You never heard of real what? Never, yeah. Ever. This is the first. It's kind of like it's kind of like your have swig. You? Yeah, yes. I, I yes, get so. what it is. I just have never heard of it. But also, have you never watched How I Met Your Mother? Like, they talk about it, don't they? I don't think so. What? I don't think I watched oh, God. that show. You've never watched How I, I Met Your Mother? I don't think so. It is like, oh. it's, it's like the show of our generation for like, oh my God. All right, well, guess what? I we're feel forcing Frosty like, to watch it at G-Con. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it just got bolstered a bit higher than it deserves to be like, it's it just beat Game of Thrones somehow, and it somehow just beat Seinfeld. Like, 
How is it the show of our generation? I don't think it's, you get it's to say that. for people our age. Yeah, like I don't think you get to say that unless you've watched it, right? You can't really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying it's really that high. Okay, I mean, I don't know if I would. And I love it. It's fantastic, but I don't think it beats Seinfeld. But that's just my opinion. I mean, it, it beat Lost. It's better than Lost. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, my gosh. Lost there's like 10 shows better be than beat. Lost. Well, I, mean, I feel like you're, you're comparing like apples to potatoes. I think Vampire Diaries. It's almost like the Lost. show of our generation. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Oh, my God, Alyssa. <laughs> all right, whatever. Let's, uh, let's get back on topic. We never were on topic. Okay, so let me get us on topic. Um, so we've got Ryan here. With his Hort, Timmy Hortons. Tim or Timmy? Well, it's officially Tim, but um, you can call it Timmy if you want. Known colloquially as Timmy Hortons. Timmy Horton. All right. So we got Ryan with his Timmy. And uh, today we're going to talk about security in any other apps. And uh, Ryan, you, you kind of tweet about this a lot. Like this is kind of a thing you focus mm. on a lot. Why do you focus on it so much? Yeah, I focus on it because I, I had the privilege of working for Auth0 for a number of years. And so many people have heard of Auth0. It's kind of really easy way to get set up with Auth and identity and stuff. And I learned there that Auth is kind of something that's a little bit misunderstood generally and maybe not super well applied in practice. Um, lots of kind of just like fuzzy uh, notions of what it looks like to have an authenticated app or a properly secured app. And I, I, I became sort of, I don't know, I guess passionate, you could say, about like helping people figure out if their applications are secure, if they're you know, using best practices for, um, for security for the web, and also that they're, you know, they've got a properly locked down application. Because what I came across in the course of my job quite often was um, folks who would, who would put an issue up or something on a, a, one of our GitHub repos. And they would like give us examples of, of their implementations. And at the end of the day, it would turn out that like what they're doing is completely insecure. So they would be doing things like um, they, they would have some kind of like uh, secret or like protected, supposed to be protected data that would be bundled into their application. And then they would just be relying on like, uh, like an ng if to, to hide it, for example, uh, from users that aren't supposed to see it. Uh, whereas it turns out that that, content is still in your application bundle it's still on the front end so that's you know a security issue for your application um so there's stuff like that uh stuff where people weren't really so much understanding that the browser is by its nature like a, a public client and it needs to be treated as a public client that you can't you basically like if once anything you produce from your server hits the browser you basically need to treat it as um as as anything can happen to it. Anyone can inspect what you've got um, coming back from your server. So if that includes uh, things like tokens that shouldn't be there or uh, bits of content that shouldn't be there. That, that's or passwords. Passwords, that's a big yeah. one. Um, yeah. One that we saw quite a bit was like if you're doing token-based authentication, having your refresh token uh, stored in like local storage yeah. or whatever. That, yeah, yeah in the, or in the bundle, that's a big okay. security issue because then you are uh, you've essentially exposed a password to the, yeah. the browser. So if somebody can come across that and and pick it up, they can use it to reauthenticate a user as, as many times as they want. So all that to say, uh, this sort of I, I just started to kind of like 
to look at application security in terms of um, how can how can we help people um, have a, a more secure application, a safer application, and essentially just a, a safer, how can we make a safer web in general? And so I started to to like this topic. And it turns out not a ton of people are super well versed in it. Not a ton of people are are, are looking at this um, super, super seriously. So, um, you know, I, I gained gained more of an interest in it that way. Um, and I had the chance to, to write a lot of content about it. I, I did a book uh, back in 2018 uh, and video course that deals with the topic specifically in Angular. So, so um, yeah, I've just become sort of more and more uh, engrossed in it and, and looking to, uh, towards uh, standards that are coming, in, well, they're here, but they're going to be gaining in popularity. Things like web authentication, I'm really jazzed up about too. Um, so anyway, that's a bit of my history and, and sort of where I come from. Nice. <clears throat> yeah, there's, um, I think, I don't know, at least half the people listening all, all like saw their own apps in their mind as you were describing like the bad parts. <laughs> like they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Refresh token. I, I got that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, it's uh, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say like the, the, the example of the refresh token is really just like one of, of many that, that I I've seen over the course yeah. of uh, my time dealing with this stuff. And so there, there are things that are, potentially much more insidious, but uh, a lot less understood as well uh, by application developers as a whole. Um, and especially if you're like kind of an indie developer and you don't have like a, <clears throat> like a, some kind of dev team behind you or DevOps team that can weigh in on these topics, folks that are more versed with like end-to-end -end security issues, uh, it can be an issue. So especially for, for more indie type developers, this, is, um, this has been kind of important information, I suppose, to, to get out to them. So a lot of, a lot of us, um, a lot of people listening are like, I don't have any idea if I've got 10 or a hundred of the problems that Ryan knows I shouldn't do. Right. A lot of us are like, I don't even know the ones that I don't know. I've got a lot of things in my app. I don't know if any of them are on Ryan's list of things not to do. Right. Like that's basically what I'm trying to say. And so where's a good place to like start combing through to be like, Oi, do I do these things? Cause right. I probably do at least some of the things, at least one, right? Like no, no one's gonna have a perfect app. Even Ryan, I'm sure you have some things where you're like, I should probably tighten this yeah. up a little bit. For sure. So where, where's a good place to learn? Cause that's where a lot of us are currently at. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. So, and to your point, like application security is, is kind of an exercise that is never done. It's always uh, needing attention. Right. And, and the fact of the matter is like, even if you secured your app as tightly as you possibly could um, and just let it sit, you can't really be so comfortable with that because even if you're, even if you never changed your code, the fact of the matter is the environment around your code base is changing all the time, right? So dependencies mm -hmm. that you've got are changing. Uh, the, the security posture of the web as a whole is changing uh, as time goes on. So like you can't, you can't ever be comfortable, I suppose, in, in making a judgment as to whether your application is secure. Um, but there are some, some places to start to just sort of like get like a base level of security uh, established so that you can relax and then, and then start to, to make iterative that, changes. That was kind of doomsday-ish though, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think your quote was, there's no way to feel comfortable about it about your app. yeah well i mean that's Which, that when it comes to security that one of the I, I don't know the 
quote or the saying off the top of my head, nor do I know who said it, but it's something like um, application security issues sort of arise when we get complacent with, uh, with the state of our application, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, and I've got some clients uh, for whom security is a big issue, right? They're, they're dealing with really important data that they want to keep locked down. And we do exercises of like getting audits from external third-party auditors for, for multiple levels of the stack. Like for, there, there's one j that just deals with AWS specifically that we have an audit done like yearly. Um, and then there's others that are like uh, penetration testing. There's like various grades of, of application security that we have assessed by specialists. Um, so that that's for like a very... Um, that's for, for an application where the data is very important that it stays locked down, for example. Uh, if you have some kind of open source thing with, you know, you're, you're not dealing with private information, for example, maybe it's not such a big deal. Since the beginning of NGCom, the team at Oasis Digital has been a sponsor. Oasis Digital is a team of expert Angular developers. They've consulted for many of the biggest companies in the industry, and they offer a wide array of high-quality, multi-day trainings, including Angular Bootcamp, the most famous of all Angular trainings. If your team needs some extra developers or some advanced training, head to oasisdigital.com to learn more about how they can help you. Uh, however, uh, so getting back to what can you do to like get a base level of security in place, uh, a few good things to hit would be, um, chances are there are lots of folks who have applications like this. If you've got uh, JSON web token authentication happening in your app and you have your tokens stored in local storage, I'd recommend uh, changing that as soon as you can. So, so there basically used to be like everyone listening. Many, many folks listening, I'm sure. So all <laughs> the listeners do what he just said. Why? Yeah, I'm interested Why? in this so, because I have heard from some people in the industry that local storage is okay. And there was kind of this hmm. push, like, I think you're going to say, what, cookie, right? You're going to say, yeah. like, uh, yes. just, like, like, put it in an HTTP-only cookie uh, mm -hmm. instead of local storage so that JavaScript can Cause, have Because, like, half the, half the people listening are like, I just finished the trading course on Pluralsight that taught me to yeah. put it into the- Put it in local storage. Local and I've heard other security yeah. people say local storage. So, with yeah. that okay. said, Ryan- Tell Teach us, us though. Teach, Teach us. us. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have it. Uh, so the recommendation used to be local storage. And I think this was kind of before it was well understood that local storage had vulnerabilities uh, that could make storing tokens there unsafe. So, and, and part of it too, I think was that uh, secure authentication as a service vendors, Auth0 included, uh, used to have docs that said, put your, your tokens in local storage for your, your single page applications. So I think we can take a look at um, why, why would you put your, why do you need to store a token at all on the front ends uh, in the browser? And it's because you want to be able to have your single page application operate somewhat like a traditional round trip application where you've got a, co a cookie and session in place that is um, authenticating the user whenever a page is, is navigated to or the, the page is refreshed or whatever. If you say authenticated in a single page application and you received a token back and you use that token to make authenticated requests to your API, anytime you refresh the page, that's that session, and I'm doing session in quotes because it's not really a session, uh, is going to 
just go away, right? Because you're going to lose that application state. So you find a place like local storage to keep your tokens and that way you can reference it to, to keep sending tokens and keep the user logged in as it were. Um, so the reason that local storage is not so safe is because it is scriptable. It's fully scriptable uh, with JavaScript and you can uh, expect that if someone were somehow able to get some cross-site scripting done in your application, uh, cross-site scripting is where like if you have the, the, the canonical example is if you have a blog and you've got a comment section and somebody puts in a comment that's got script tags and some malicious code in there, unless you're sanitizing that in various places, other users who navigate to that page uh, can have that script run unbeknownst to them, right? And so it's, uh, it's conceivable and very doable that if you had some cross-site scripting in your application, that script might be looking for tokens in your local storage and then sending them to some server somewhere and collecting these tokens, right? I mean, like, um, so, so the tokens by themselves are like dangerous in the wrong hands then is what you're saying i would say that's that's true it's kind of like um like a password, so a token right it's a password right like it's but maybe a, a short-lived password yeah short-lived password a token is essentially a way for you to not need to provide your username and password on every http request that you make um so so you can think about maybe like a uh uh, may, maybe a bad way of implementing that is you have a user supply their username and password, and then you store those somewhere like local storage. Please don't do that, but maybe you, you could imagine that, that someone might do that. And then on every HTTP request, instead, instead of sending a token, you send a username and password, and at your API, you validate those two things on every request, right? Uh, so that's, that's one way you could do it, but you definitely shouldn't do that. Um, Instead, what you can do is you can have the user prove their identity uh, at one point in time. And in, in exchange for proving their identity, they get an access token back. And that access token, which often takes the form of a JSON web token, is in, that is what's used to make those authenticated requests. And by the nature of JSON web tokens, when they're received at the API and they're validated, you can pretty much just trust that they are <clears throat> a valid, source of authentication information, um, provided that you have set things up appropriately to, to mint those tokens in a way that, that is secure. Uh, so all that aside, a, a JSON web token is essentially, a, it, it, it acts as a password, but like Brian said, it can be a short-lived password and you should definitely keep your JSON web tokens uh, to have a short expiry window, mm -hmm. meaning that right. make, make them expire after an hour and then make the user re-authenticate, um, which you can do in ways that are good for user experience. You don't want to have to have your user I was like, you're logging in every hour. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> so yeah, you, you don't want that. There are ways to get around that. And you know, the, the typical ways are refresh tokens or having a central authentication state at a, an auth server, which you can uh, refresh against. That, that typically takes the shape of that server holding a session for you. So a typical cookie and session approach. Um, so anyway, that, all that aside, JSON Web Tokens, kind of like a password. And so you don't want to put them in local storage, uh, ideally, because then you are subject to possible cross-site scripting attacks. So what's the other way? The other way, <clears throat> there, there are a couple other ways, but one of the common other ways is to put them into a cookie instead. So an HTTP-only cookie, which means that you can't really manipulate it via uh, scripting on the front end, uh, and a secure cookie. So you, you, you put your... 
um, your JSON web token in that cookie. And then by the nature of cookies, they get sent to their, um, the servers from which they originated on every request, every request. to the server. Yep. So they, they'll go to your server. You can pick them up from that cookie, authenticate against uh, that token that way. So cookies aren't subject to cross-site scripting, but they are subject to another vulnerability uh, called cross-site request forgery, CSRF or XSRF. And that's a vulnerability that you also have to, to tackle against as you have to tackle as well. So the long and short of it is that there are vulnerabilities in both approaches, but what we're kind of landing on these days is that local storage is a potentially more um, serious vulnerability and potentially harder to guard against, whereas cookie-based JSON Web Token storage is maybe a little bit easier to, to deal with. Companies like Auth0 these days will tell you don't do either of those approaches. Instead, you should store your tokens in memory and you should just have them in your application state. And then you would say, well, what if the user refreshes the page or comes back to the application? Do they have to re-authenticate every time? And the way they give you to do this, like I was kind of just mentioning, is they hold a cookie in session on their centralized auth server for you. So you can just, from your application, say, hey, is this user still logged in? If they are, send them back a new token, right? And, and you just put that token in memory, in, in state. And then on every refresh, you do the same thing. And that way you're not exposing your token um, anywhere. So that's, that's a long-winded way to say, don't put your tokens in local storage if you can uh, if you, if that's a possibility for you, it should be, um, find another way that, that is more secure. Hey Ryan, I have a question for you. So for our yep. listeners that might be listening to this going, okay, this makes sense. What about my app that might be like a line of business enterprise application and it lives behind the firewall or, or something like that? Do I, do I need to be concerned about this kind of stuff or can I just put my token in local storage? Cause Hey, my app is only going to be used by people that are employees and they're already getting badged into an environment or something like this. Do I really need to be concerned about this stuff? Right. And should I, should I go through the effort? Cause let's be honest, like if I, it's pretty easy just to throw it in local storage. Should I actually go through the effort of, you know, making a ticket and, and putting this into a future sprint in order to yep. accomplish what you're saying? Yeah, it definitely is a big lift or it can be to, to make this. It change. can be. Um, yeah. Yeah. And one of the reasons is that cookies um, by nature only go to the places from which they came, right? So if you've got an API that's living in a different domain, right, exactly. To, there are concessions you need to make for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if you're behind a firewall, it's going to be less of an issue for you because there are far fewer um, inroads for potentially malicious actors to get their you know, sure. cross-site scripting on your page. Uh, right. But it's not, I, I, I wouldn't say it's a catch-up. not inconceivable. It would, I mean, inconceivable, you could have a rogue employee or, sure, or whatever, where somebody somehow gets access in behind the firewall. And then yep. now you've got these vulnerabilities and somebody could expose those. Exactly. And so I, I, I would relax a little bit if it were behind a firewall, like if it were something that is like, you know, if you've got a lot of corporate pressure saying we just don't have the resources for this to do right now, um, maybe you can relax to some extent, but it's still an issue. Um, it's still an issue that I think is worth, worth uh, fixing um, at some point. Um, and certainly worth but, knowing about, right? At least if sure. you're listening to this podcast, like, hey, we've got this issue, we should make a ticket and maybe put it in the backlog or something. So at least we know that it's something we should yeah. address at some point. Yeah, yeah, I would say that that's right. Um, and 
you know, it's, it's going to be probably the case that if you're in a corporate environment, there's not going to be as, as many ways for people to get access to your code base, right? Mm -hmm. um, there are not going to be as many ways for people to access your application at all. Hopefully that's completely locked down. But um, then you've, you've got to ask yourself, like, do you want to, do you want to rely on an upstream um, point of failure, uh, point of access, I suppose, to someone who shouldn't be accessing what you've got? Do you want to rely on that mm -hmm. being secure to then secure all your downstream stuff, right? So, yeah. So there's, there's a bit of, I suppose you've got to weigh the trade-offs there, but, uh, but yeah, definitely if you can do it, cookies um, are a good start, I would say. Cool. Cool. And those HTTP only cookies, are those supported by our all browsers? I thought I remember maybe this was like a year or two ago where that was still like not officially in the spec. Yeah. I don't, I, is that right? Good question. Let's, let's take a look. Can I use that? It looks like, <laughs> yeah, I think like all majors, I'm sure. I think all majors support it. Maybe not that old IE thing that some people might have yeah. to worry about. I'm I'm seeing uh, IE since version six, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so I I would say cool. you, you've got good coverage yeah. good um, to go. these days. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Jason Web Tokens, fun some fun subject. Cool. Um, so I want to ask about how how Angular makes a lot of this stuff easier because it yeah. does. Um, and Angular makes it makes some of these problems actually easier. <laughs> like they make they make making the mistakes easier sometimes, but they also give you some really good fixes as well. But before we do that, I kind of want to do a quick segment and um, just talk about something else real quick before we transition kind of off to a different topic. Um, and that is, and this is a this is a non-Angular related segment. So is it last night? It just was a big deal. Yeah. Legend. Yeah, Legend yeah. kind of ended, right? Kobe. Mm -hmm. And um that was huge and it was a big deal and like uh uh so some of us don't know. So what are you, ta what are you talking about? So you do you do you know Kobe Bryant? Alyssa? Yes. Heard so, of yes. So Kobe Bryant is um inarguably one of the greatest basketball players ever, right? Certainly mm -hmm of like the 21st century no one mm -hmm. can refute it right and so um yeah he he died in a helicopter crash last night with his daughter his daughter and another player and yeah. a oh couple gosh. other people yeah yeah and they were en route to like was it like a charity a event or camp, some yeah. sort of a basketball camp yeah, yeah like just going out to help out um a kid's yeah. camp with his daughter and they have yeah. any idea why I helicopter cr helicopter crash. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't they won't know for a while what what caused it, but yeah. it's uh, sad. Yo, very very sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I I still remember when I was a kid, I got to watch Michael Jordan play. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And he he beat the Utah Jazz. Any chance the Jazz ever had of winning a championship was single handedly defeated by Michael Jordan. So like my whole uh, childhood was like in awe of Michael Jordan, right? And then the Jazz got good a couple more times, but Kobe was here. And um, 
and Co- and so like I I gotta watch both of these like giants, Kobe and Michael Jordan. And so Kobe was like uh Kobe is a big deal. His last game in the NBA, Kobe scored 60 points against the Jazz. Oh my gosh. Wow. You imagine your last game you scored 60 points. That's bro. crazy. Wild. Yeah. Anyway, um, I just it was, it was brutal just uh to know that someone who uh had taught so many people, even outside of basketball, his 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 willingness to to do hard stuff to learn how to be a better basketball player taught so many of the rest of us that we needed to work hard too. Like, like I remember he would go like learn completely non basketball related skills just to get better at basketball, like dancing mm-hmm. and other side, other, other sorts of skills. And so uh, he certainly, he certainly is inspirational for a lot of people. Um, and I kind of wanted to throw this out there. Uh, Tatiana Mack, who I don't know, hopefully one day I can be like her. She uh, she tweeted and said that that over the next few weeks there's gonna be a lot of people who loved Kobe that are gonna be like feeling things right, and there's gonna be a lot of people who were hurt by Kobe, who are gonna be hurt by hearing his name a lot. And um, she said it's okay to feel bad and feel like reach out emotionally to the people on both on both of those spectrums because. Life's too short to not be able to com- to process these kind of complex moments, and 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 I just want to say like, I think it's okay to have people on both sides of that reaction, and still feel what you need to feel right to to, to process this kind of a difficult moment. So, so yeah. Anyway, just uh, kind of a kind of a weird, I don't know, dark segment. I guess dark. Most of our segues are like laffy taffy jokes. This one was like. <laughs> Hey, end of a legend. So, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Any other last thoughts on uh, end of a legend, I guess, before we go back to talking about Angular and Auth? All right. So, Ryan, let's get back to the topic. Um, so, Angular makes some of this stuff easier, though, right? Because you're, you're talking about JWTs and you're talking about some things around the web that don't necessarily – tie into angular right like you can you can mm-hmm. do jwt without angular and you can and and, and and you can do it without any framework even so let's yeah. talk about how angular makes security on the web a little bit easier for us sure yeah so angular is an interesting framework i think because uh i mean we most of us are familiar with how it gives us it solves a lot of pieces for us that are uh, pieces of a, you know, a typical application that you probably have to do right so you think about routing and you think about um i don't know just even wiring up components right these are all these are often things you have to do in any application and there are some features that it has which make security <clears throat> a little bit easier too possibly not for the whole end-to-ends um, experience of, of making a secure application, but it helps with pieces of it. Uh, so a few that you can think about off the top of my head would be uh, interceptors, HTTP interceptors. And that's a way for you to be able to attach um, or I guess modify a request, an HTTP request, either modify the request or even the response uh, on any outgoing request, any incoming response. 
And when would you want to modify it? Well, you'd probably want to modify it if you need to make an authenticated request. And what that looks like uh, when you use a JSON web token is you typically want to put the token on a header. Now that's the case if you're using local storage or if you're using the token in memory, you want to attach it to an authorization header. Um, if you're doing the cookie-based approach, your cookie containing that token is going to be sent to your server, whether you like it or not, if you're sending it to the same domain. So you pick it up that way. But if, if it's the case that you're doing in-memory uh, JSON web token storage, you want to attach it as an authorization header, essentially. Um, and so with, a, with Angular's HTTP interceptors, you can write some logic so that you attach your tokens on every outgoing request uh, for yourself. Now, what you can also do, kind of what I recommend, is to keep a list of uh, domains that you know of that you want to send requests to, because Good. you can think I'm about- I just gonna mention this, yeah. Because yeah. you don't wanna send it every time, right? Right, if you're calling other third-party APIs, like some applications, <laughs> applications are simple, they're just the Angular front end and an API that you control, and that's the only communication that's happening. But you might have an app that's communicating with several APIs and several third-party mm -hmm. APIs, right? And so you want to be able to know where, which ones your token is going to go to. Uh, you don't wanna just blindly send it to every single one because you'd never know what, what that, on the receiving end, what they're doing with it. They're probably not gonna do too much malicious uh, to, you know, stuff with it, but they're going to be logging it probably. You know, you probably don't want your tokens to be logged on someone else's server that you don't control. True. So there's, yeah, so there's that, that approach. And you, that's, so with interceptors, that's really easy to, to accomplish. You just list out your known endpoints or known domains, I guess, that you would want to, to send them to. And then you can, you can just uh, rely on the interceptors uh, doing their job to only send it to where they should come from. And so, I've got a library for that. Actually, there's uh, this, it was when I was working at Osir. I'll link it up. It's called angular. I think it's still called angular Two JWT. It might be called angular JWT at this point, but, um, but it, it does that for you. You can just like wire it up mm -hmm. in your, your config and you can list your known domains. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, what were you going to say there, Frosty? So, um, if you have like, if you have an HTTP interceptor that's inserting into the request, maybe some sort of authentication jot action, right? Um, if that thing doesn't discriminate and it also inserts those to like third party requests. So like, let's say you integrate with some sort of live person chat, right? And it also is like, ah, all right, send it to them too. And, um, and it's like, and you also maybe integrate with PayPal. And it's like, hello. And now PayPal's got, got your job stuff too, right? So is that a pretty common, like, mm -hmm. if you're a third-party provider, do you think that you're just like, for the good of the people, we will ignore <laughs> all of the stuff that people keep sending us? I hope they so. should reply with yeah. <laughs> or like send you an email. We noticed that you, hey. your API, yeah. your app is sending us your authentication header. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be nice of them. That would be really nice of them. <laughs> that would be nice. But, of them. Uh, but probably not that common. Um, and you know, I like depending on how you're integrating third party things, like sometimes if you have like a chat widget or something in your app, yeah, it's probably being loaded in from like you know an npm package that it, yeah. in in that package is it is going to take care of that like the xhr request with however they implement it, and that's not going to touch your tokens. Um, 
Interestingly, this is like a spot where if you're storing in local storage, if you're keeping your tokens in local storage, it's conceivable that a dependency that you have could be making XHR requests and picking, doing like, hey, get all items from local storage and send it as a payload uh, in the request. Let's just scrape your page, essentially, you know? So there's yeah. an example, again, where, where it's not such a great idea for keeping them in local storage. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully people's tokens aren't being robbed from them too often, but you know, it happens and we've sort of seen examples of this out in the wild. I've heard stories. So, But if you don't have any, end, if you don't use anything from NPM, then you don't have to worry about that. Right. So write all of your components yourself. That's, all, that's the takeaway of the show. Yeah, don't use NPM. Okay, cool. That's good. Yeah. That's a good uh, security cool, cool. tip. Everyone can do that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll have no <laughs> dependency issues. Yeah, <laughs> no, you'll be good. Note to self. No. Don't, don't <laughs> use just, open source software. Just RMRF that node <laughs> modules directory. You don't need it. Get rid of that nope. thing. <laughs> and that completes our segment called Angular Pro Hacks. Yeah. <laughs> Angular Pro Tips. Yep. Ryan, I was curious. So you mentioned your uh, open source library, which is cool. I did not know about that. Uh, but if I if, if I don't want to install another dependency and I want to kind of keep track of these domains and which tokens go with it, do you suggest like uh, in Angular in the environments file or should they be like node environment variables that get set like in my CICD pipeline or like yeah. what does that kind of look like in terms of tracking those? You probably, I mean, a good first start, first step would be to put them in your environments file. Um, you know, hopefully you've got a local environment file, then like a some kind of dev staging or whatever. And, yeah, and prod. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good spot to keep them. Keep them. Just keep an array there, and then reference that in your application. Mm -hmm. uh, it sort of has to be like a front end. Uh, concern. So like that's, you know, the environment's file being a front end concern. That's a good spot for it. If you, for whatever reason, don't want to expose your known domains, uh, it would be fruitless to do so. But if you, if you didn't want to expose those, maybe you could, um, you could then like do some kind of ping uh, in the application bootstrap phase to get those values to do so because they're going to find them anyways. Yeah, they'll find them. I mean, if, if someone could go to the lengths of trying to find out which domains you know about, yeah, they'll, they'll be able to do so by looking at the network tab anyway. So yeah. They click the sure. network tab and they can see it. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's uh, a moot point. Uh, however, yeah environment file that's a good spot for them if it's simple cool. you might want to just hard code them um i mean mm -hmm. it's up to you if, if you've got a complex application that where it changes a lot but it's uh you know hard coding if you just have one one single endpoint that's that's okay cool thanks mm -hmm. so um so so what else does angular give me to kind of lock up my you said earlier that some people are like shipping like admin important info mm. and it's yeah it's, it's in their file and they're like eh let's just ngf it out let's right let's just not put it in but it's still like there and you and right. i both know it's there right but yeah. their goal was to not show to the user if they're not if they're mm -hmm. not an admin right and so and that's that's the wrong way to secure that up right Right. So, so what are yeah. some of the tools Angular gives me to, to to do these kind of like don't ship the keys to the kingdom type scenarios? Yep. Right. So, uh, Angular gives us lazy loading. 
which is awesome for helping to protect an application. It's not a stopgap, but it's, uh, it, it's helpful. Uh, to preface this, I would say any kind of sensitive info at all really needs to be locked down behind uh, an API endpoint that you control, that you can allow access to as, uh, as you need to. You, you don't want to put sensitive info into your application bundle. Um, so if you have some component, even if it's like, you know, cause, cause a lot of this, it's going, you might think, well, I, I would only ever really want to display like data that might come from a database. So I would never put in sensitive info in my bundle anyway, but maybe you've got some kind of, uh, content, like even a heading or like a, a paragraph or something that is supposed to be used in a component that deals with sensitive info, right? Like, um, you know, like maybe it's like, here's a list of diseases you have. Um, even that heading itself has indications that, that this area is sensitive and you know, maybe it's a target for people to, to inspect further um, if people want to know what diseases people have. Um, but all that to say, you, you want to keep really sensitive stuff, even if it's content behind a, a, an API that, that can be locked down. And so then it, it's only when your authenticated user makes authenticated requests to your API that those components can be populated. Um, so, so that's one thing. The, this whole concept of lazy loading comes in handy when we want to keep code that would be used for like say admin or higher access level users out of the application bundle uh, from users that, that shouldn't have access to it. And so, you know, if, if you've got your application properly set up where your data is locked down behind your API, maybe it's not such a big deal that your users could potentially see, like if they're crafty and they go into dev tools, maybe it's not such a big deal that they would see the admin uh, user code, the, the front end code that would power the admin area. Maybe that's not such a big deal, but it's a good idea to keep it out of their hands, especially because you will have some savings in terms of like performance, right? Yeah. If you it's like split. Cause, Cause maybe you hard code, the 10 different roles inside the admin section, right? Sure. And you don't want to expose what those roles are, even though it might not help to have them. You, you still right. don't necessarily want to expose that to non-admin users, true? Yep, 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 exactly. You want to keep information that they don't need to see. You want to keep it away from them, including out of the application bundle. So, you know, typically how this happens is you set up your routing file, you lazy load your different modules that represent different uh, parts of your application that can be route-based or it can be component-based. I think Frosty, you have a library that does it on the component level, don't you? Yep. You can lazy load um, components. So you set that up and then it's only when, and then you can use a guard. This gets to another of Angular's features that's useful for authentication and security is a, a guard. In this case, you would use the can load guard. And that says, um, when a, when a route is to be navigated to, run some logic to see if it can even load that, uh, that uh, slice of JavaScript that is needed to, to power that route, for example. Um, and in there, you check for the authentication state. You might check to see if the user, uh, in terms of client-side state, if the user is logged in, uh, if they're to, to be considered authenticated, you might check their role, for example, and then you can allow navigation. So this, this helps because it keeps code away from where it shouldn't be seen. Um, but it's not a silver bullet because let's say you're like super hacker uh, and you come across this application, you get into dev tools, maybe you can't see the code that admin should have. And maybe it's hard to like coax the, the 
um, app to get that code shipped to you, right? Maybe it's not so um, easy to get into the sandbox environment and to, um, to add like a role for yourself where you should be able to get that code, but you can, you can download all of that code for the front end and you can reverse engineer it very easily. You can then inspect it to see what you need to do. Then you might wire up your own version of it uh, and, and then make it, um, kind of bend it to your will, make it send you and ship you that, that code if, if, uh, if you so desire. So all that to say, you can't really rely on lazy loading to be an actual method of properly securing your application, but it's helpful and it's, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's helpful for performance too. Cause like on a route guard, you can say, Hey, don't let me go to this route unless I have these auth pieces. Right. So you right. go to that can load. The problem is, is that, the um the router is going to load your lazily loaded files in order to trigger that route guard right or am i wrong uh it won't load the like if you have an admin page for example okay. it's not going to load that javascript until it verifies that you can verify load it. Yeah. and i was going to actually comment on this because you mentioned yeah. can load instead of can activate right right and maybe yeah. that's kind of the difference here in terms of oh. like we're gonna yeah load and then can we activate the route because that would be can activate right versus can load is going to stop it before it even tr attempts to make the fetch or the xhr request that's that's correct yeah so you yep. so you need to you need to use the right lifecycle hooks on that guard is what yep. you're saying right yep. okay because can activate that sounds more like authenticate well i guess they're both authentication right yeah yeah well they uh, both can be used for authentication right. but you could also use can activate if you've already loaded that chunk Right. And then you want to further make sure can activate. Right. So you could, you can actually use both. Right, Ryan. Um, maybe it would be best practice to use both or, or well, I could see, there? I could see there being a case where maybe you've got, maybe you've got some kind of area in your application that can be accessed by two different user permissions. Right. Uh, and maybe it's not so important that, uh, that any one of those two user permissions, uh, don't see that code, right? So if you're, let's, to make it more concrete, you've got an admin level and then you've got maybe like a manager level, let's say. Maybe it's not such a big deal that if one of those two roles got the code, mm -hmm. the, them seeing it uh, wouldn't be a big deal. I, I'm not being super eloquent, but I think- No, I think what you're saying is like, I could use can load if I'm authenticated or if I'm an admin, but then I might want to use can activate to actually check those right. roles within that route or, or within yes. those specific sub routes. Yeah. To allow, right, to allow navigation to, to specific areas within it. So, yeah. so all, yeah. all that to say like can load in that scenario um, could be used if like you're, you're okay with either one of those roles receiving that code bundle. And then you can then use can activate to say, okay, now that we have this code, one of these two specific roles, so this role can access this piece, this role can access this piece, kind of mm. that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so, but that's a determination you make based on, uh, you know, what, what your comfort is with users seeing code bundles. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, when it comes down to it, like this is stuff that, only really super advanced users would be able to manipulate anyway. But those, those people are the ones that right? we're scared of. Those, like yeah. honestly, you're not you're not scared of the ones who can't get past the NGF, right? Right. If you stopped them with an NGF with the data just sitting right there, that's not the one that you're scared. Of. Exactly. The Angular Show is part of NGConf. 
Did you know that NGConf is the one event a year where the entire Angular team is present? That's right, the entire Angular team. And many of the brightest experts and biggest names in the community are there as well. Don't miss your chance to be a part of this one-of-a-kind show. Head to ng-conf.org and get your ticket today. As a special offer to listeners of The Angular Show, you can use the code ANGULARSHOW to get $150 off your ticket price. You can sit with us. Grab your ticket today. Yep. You're scared of the one who's like got past everything we already talked about. So those are the ones you're most worried about. Not, it's not like, eh, only a few right. people are going to make it this far. It's like, yeah, but those people though, you know. Yep. One thing that uh, is of interest to me right now, and I, I don't know if there's anything that does this in Angular. I, I want to look at it for both Angular and React, is whether you can have, a, if there's a library or something that will allow you to authenticate requests for your chunks. So uh, if you are an admin and you want to go through the can load guard, that you have to supply your JSON web token or your cookie or whatever to the back end to be able to even load that chunk. And that way oh, you can kind of be sure that you're not going to load front end code unless the user can actually get out. I mean, you it. could implement that, right? I mean, whatever yep. you use on your back end, whether it's node or, or whatever, you could implement, check that authorization header or the token, or excuse me, the cookie or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just haven't seen really like, and maybe someone on the panel has seen this is like where you can, control the uh like if you're doing async if you're doing lazy loading where you can control like the delivery of of those chunks like if there's somewhere in in, in the angular cli for example where mm. you can where you where you can manipulate that or or put in your own uh not that i'm aware of because an interceptor is not going to fire for that right i mean because you're not using http client you're i mean it's doing the fetch somewhere in the angular code base but yeah. i don't know if there's some sort of way to Huh. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, Ryan, have you seen that in other frameworks, like as um, something they're providing? Not built, but I, I did come across someone who let me know they, at their company, they had to do that. I guess what they, it was with React in this context and they, they had a custom implementation of lazy loading. It sounded like where they could really manipulate how uh, assets would be delivered in the, the lazy loading calls. And I, I think their scenario is they had like, a huge stratification of uh, what might need to be lazy loaded. And it was all based on like um, whether you've paid for that part, it all needed to be front end for some reason. So they wanted to say, if the user is paid for this mm. specific part of the application, then ship them the, the code bundle. Otherwise don't do it. Um, that was their use case. And they, so they had protection at their, their lazy loading API as it were. Um, but I, I don't know how to do it exactly. And I'd like to, to try to find out. Well, I mean, with Angular 8, it uses just an ES6 dynamic import statement. And so maybe mm -hmm. somewhere with that import statement, you can modify the request. I'm not aware of how that would work. I'm not sure. Because you just basically give it the, yeah. the relative path, right, to the, right, to the module, and then it fetches it for you. Yep. I don't yeah. know if there's a way to, like, is there a second argument into the import where you can, like, have, like, headers? That's almost what I would want, right? Like, right? Uh, yeah. But then you yeah. need to actually control it on your server as well, which I guess, right. depending on how you're deployed, yes. you can do, right? Yeah. Um, but but there's a couple pieces there that I, I don't. I'm gonna look into. It I mean, see you could do a you could do a fetch 
to a lazy loaded bundle, you'd have to have to know the name, but you could do a fetch. Um, yeah. And in that fetch, you could change any header you wanted to, but yeah. yeah. You'd have to do something wired up yourself. Yeah. I mean, I've done that. I've done that recently. I fetched like HTML and JavaScript with just a fetch rather than with it, like a, a script tag. Were you doing it for security reasons, Aaron? Yeah. I, well, I was doing it for performance reasons um, that has in, um, invested security reasons as well. But yeah, it's all for Scully. So, so yeah. Scully. I'm excited about Scully. Yeah. I think uh, some, I, I'm interested. What's your take on Scully as far as helping um, app security? Because it might take by shipping so much of the code and by, by using the API at build time and not doing it at runtime, you're able to not ship so much of your API to production. It's a huge, it's a huge boon for, for application security because if all you're serving are static assets, then there's nothing left to hack, right? If you're yeah. not exposing an API, like that, that's the bread and butter for hackers really is to try to get to an API essentially, yeah. right? Yep. Either through like your typical HTTP request to it, somehow bypassing security or getting into like getting on the box for that uh, API, but getting, getting to the API is, is the goal. Yeah. And if you're not exposing an API at all, then you've got nothing to hack. So hundred yeah. percent for you, uh, Aaron, for application security, you basically, you're providing something that, that makes it almost like, unless, I mean, if you've got an application where you've got like an authenticated user, there's still avenues. Yeah, like you have, a, you have a cart or something, right? Sure. So maybe, maybe but, I, I was able to pre-render most of the site besides the whole cart functionality. Right. Uh, but think about like your typical, um, you know, go back to like WordPress, right? If you've okay. got like a con content site, uh, how many WordPress sites have been hacked over the years and uh, are just polluted with malware? Uh, and None. that's three. <laughs> it's, None. Up to only three. it's up to three now. None. The uh, same number as has the I, coronavirus. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's, that's a function of the whole deployment uh, scenario for a WordPress site being pretty um, subject to, to malicious use, right? Like people yeah. code onto your server. If you've got yeah. shared hosting, like uh, God help you, you probably are going to have malware infiltrate your site through someone else's site on the same server. Like, yeah. it's just, it's, but if you, if all you've got are static assets that are being served over, you know, something like Netlify or whatever, then people don't have much chance mm -hmm. to really, uh, you know, put some malware on your site and try yeah. to mine Bitcoin or whatever. Yeah. Which is a pretty good thing to do if you're going to do malware, right? To mine a Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. Because you're not stealing anyone's money. You're just borrowing. Just making you know, money. You're borrowing their process. Printing yeah. money. <laughs> some, some of my favorite, um, my, my favorite kind of hacks, I suppose, to websites are where somebody gets like a, a JavaScript file in, like, to inject into a site. And so the users who go to this site end up downloading the JavaScript file. And then it ends up using their browser to run Bitcoin mining. So like your, your fan starts going up to super high on your Mac and you're like, what is happening? And it's like Chrome starts locking up and it's because somebody put on like a, a script that is mining Bitcoin on your computer as you're browsing the site. Either so someone is mining Bitcoin or, or I, have Slack. I have Slack turned on. Or Slack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either Slack That's is right. running or 
someone's mining Bitcoin on my computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Scully, hundred points for Scully. It's uh, uh it's great. It's thanks, great man. Thanks. All right. Does anyone have any last questions before we kind of start to wrap this up? Um, you had talked about a course. Where's that course at? Yeah, I have a course all about this stuff. Um, and if you want to find it, it is at ngauthbook.com. That's where you can get info on the course. Um, it's, you know, it'll take you through authentication and security for Angular apps, kind of what you might need to think about. It's, it's really, uh, the course too, is a, it's, a, it's good if you want to learn how to build, build a full stack application with Angular to begin with, uh, and one that is secure um, sort of by its nature. So if you're, if you're newer to Angular, it's also useful because it kind of goes into some of the you know, more basics of Angular as well. So yeah, ngauthbook.com for that. And uh, I've also got some, some content on YouTube, for example, that uh, you can look at as well for security. If, uh, if you'd like just like a smaller kind of primer, uh, you can just look up my name on there and you should see it on YouTube. Perfect. All right, we, we, we put that in the show notes. So anyone yeah. looking for that can get that out of the show notes. All right, let's move on to, uh, let's kind of just wrap this up. Does anyone have any kind of closing thoughts for the community? Anything that someone wants to share with the community? I'm um, excited about NGConf. NGConf. Yeah, I had... Um, uh, uh, Alyssa and I are excited, I hope. For? for Sunday. Go Chiefs! Yeah, Chiefs oh, jeez. Oh, when was the last yeah. time they were in the Super Bowl? <laughs> 50 years ago. 50 years ago. There you go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw a great post on Facebook that was like, wait, how do you watch the Super Bowl when you care who wins? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yep. Sorry. That was my that was my quick hijack. Go Chiefs. I think every time the Patriots play, almost everyone cares who wins. That it's the other team, though. So most people care a lot. Um <laughs> But that's 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 big for uh, for uh, for Kansas City. Congrats! Yeah, that's Mahomes. exciting. Yeah, Mahomes. Yeah. Um, so uh, I wanted to kind of share something around NGConf. It's something that um, we don't talk about a lot, but um, but it's a big deal. And um, so one of the things that we focused on is um, putting up a list of speakers that represent the community that we all love right and it's not easy to do that because if if you close your eyes and you just pick the talks that you think sound the, the coolest sorry i'm being facetious when i say the word cool um you're gonna end up with a speaker panel that doesn't look like what the community looks like and so we we spend a lot of time focusing on hey who are the people submitting how do we get how do we get everyone to submit? Because we don't want just some people to submit. We want, how do we get everyone to submit? How do we get people from not the US to submit? How do we get people from not just within like a normal flight distance of NGConf? How do we get them to submit? Um, how do we get the women in the communities to submit at the same rate that we get some of the, some of the men to submit? How do we, how do we fix these, these, these ratios? And um, we spent a lot of time through the year. And th this year we focused on, hey, if we, if we change 
how we um, we get the funnel to look. If we if we change how we were the the funnel that of people funneling their toxin and people volunteering to submit their ideas, if we can get a different type of people to volunteer their ideas, then maybe organically a different type of speaker lineup will fall up out the bottom. And that's that's the goal is to say, hey, um, one day maybe we can all take diversity and inclusivity for granted. Maybe one day we can all say, eh, we don't need to worry that we've got the speaker panel to look like the community looks. Does that make sense? But that day that I just hypothesized about, that's not today. So we're still in a time when we get to focus about it and care about it and, and, and love it and, and embrace it for what it is. Um, we're, we're, in a, we're in a part of time where we're fixing things, okay? And maybe that time never ends, but I'm still going to hypothesize about that ideal future where things are the way they're supposed to be organically. Okay. Um, anyway, this year, um, in all years past at NGConf, you, you, you're picking talks and, and um, you kind of get to the end. And, and Alyssa, you've been there. You know that you get to the end and you're like, hey, does this speaker lineup match our community? And if it, if it does or doesn't, you shift a few talks up or down and um, you end up with the right talk lineup. And I'm going to say the right one because it is, it is when you're done, it is, there's a truism to it. It's right, right? Versus wrong. So this year was, we focused a lot on the funnel. Let's make sure we get enough people to submit. And then our hope was that that will change organically what comes out the bottom of the funnel, which is the final talk lineup. Well, this year we had, we had kind of the coolest um, talk selection we'd ever had. Kim Maida came into town. Jorge came into town. We had Owen there. We had Brooke there, Joe and I and Kip. And um, we ended up with um, 50% of the speakers being from like a diverse or inclusive background, which for us, that's, Wow. It's like a really high number for, yeah, well, for NG comp. And Are you talking uh, about before choosing or after choosing? That's like at the end. Yeah. yeah. So when we're done. Yeah. And here's the, here's the really cool thing about that is um, we, we, we looked back and said, Hey, does this look right? Does, is everything on par? And then we were like, we, we, we weren't like, Oh no, it's under, Let's go and have some additional conversations and take into consideration some other things. These were legit the talks that were the best. And so these were, this is like the first time we've had, we've had the highest numbers. And it's also like organically, it was, that was the lineup that we initially selected. And then that's also at the same time. And that, does that make sense? Yeah, that's awesome. And, but how did you change your funnel at the very beginning then? Cause that sounds like that's the meta. So you have a lot of people who, um, who volunteered to coach anyone who were like, Hey, I want to submit an idea. And you had a lot of people like you, Alyssa or Brian and myself, really any, a lot of, there was a lot of people who were like, I will help anyone refine their talk ideas. If you have an idea and you need help with it, let me know. And a lot of people did that. I, I remember a few years ago at NGConf, Asim Hussein stood up on stage and he was like, if you want to get into speaking and you're from an underrepresented group, you should contact me on Twitter. 
right? And he was like really forward about, if you're underrepresented specifically, I want to help you. And so, and you, so you've got a lot of that happening just broadly across the community. Asim and other people kind of just coming out and saying that. And, then, and you've got others doing that too. I, I, I don't mean to say it's all Asim did all of it. He certainly helped. Other people helped a lot too. Um, and then you also get it any, as, as NGCOF organizer, anytime we meet someone who are like, yeah, that person's awesome. That person needs to come give a talk. Like an example is there's a 10-year-old kid who I, I know a lot of you have met. His name's Aaron Ma. He's uh, super smart. I mean, if any of us were as smart as he was when we were 10, by now, we would be like CTOs already, like a CEO. Like it, the kid's insane. Let me just say that, okay? And so I see Aaron Ma, and I'm like, hey, I need you to submit to this conference, right? So there's a lot more proactive invitations to, to submit their, their talks to the CFP. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of that going on too. So, so a lot of it's just kind of uh, not aggressively, but assertively inviting people who might not invite themselves. And I think the last part, Alyssa, is something that I, it took us a long time to learn. And that is, and I would, I, I hate generalizations, but I'm going to use a generalization because it's a generalization that's been forced on me several times. And it's a generalization of a group I don't fit into. So that's why I have to kind of embrace it. So people have told me, hey, when guys and when men and women see a job description, men will apply if they check like two of the 10 boxes. I check two, amen. And I know that to be true based on experience. And I realize it's a generalization across men, but that's certainly true for me. I, I remember doing that when I was a junior dev. I remember doing that before I was even a developer in, in other careers. And then the, I've also heard that that same job description, women won't apply unless they like tick all the boxes. Okay. And so <laughs> if, if you take that and you apply that same probable response to talk submissions, what you get is a lot of the men are submitting on things they don't actually know a hundred percent. Right. And the women are submitting on things that they probably do know a hundred percent. Right. So you have two different approaches to talk submissions. If you take those generalizations and apply them to conference talk submissions. And so once you realize some of the talks that sound the quote unquote coolest are people talking out their ass. Um, but some of them aren't certainly right. That's it. These are generalizations and they don't always fit. But anyway, but once you realize that you're able to understand the talks a little better and go, actually, this talk's going to be better. I can tell because I'm looking at who's submitting it. And I trust that they actually do know what they're, that they're, they're saying that they know the thing they're talking about. You know, does that make sense? I don't know. There's a lot in there that I think that I think helps. And it took years for me to understand and learn, but um, I just wanted to share that. Hey, I think it might be helping because we just had a really high um, organic selection of speakers that are diverse. And, and here's the thing. I'm not the one defining them as diverse. These are people that are identifying themselves as diverse. So I don't, I don't claim credit for saying, Oh, that speaker is diverse, right? Like if someone, if someone didn't check the diverse box, I'm not going to go and check it for them. Right. So I'm, I'm just telling you the numbers of people who they identify themselves as diverse. And so, um, 
So yeah, I just wanted to share that, that, hey, I think that there's a lot of efforts going on that are improving things. I'm certainly not saying, let your guard down. We're at that, we're at that hypothetical moment where you can stop caring. We're certainly not even close to that. I'm just saying there's cause for hope and there's cause to continue focusing on these things. That's all I'm trying to say. So, so that's, all, that's all I'm saying about DNI and specifically around NGConf. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm motivated. No, that's really great. And it's so wonderful to hear because for me, that's one of the things I always ask about is when, when, do, when do we get to just be developers? Yeah. That's what I want. That's what I want. So I'm, I'm excited if it's any way that we're moving that needle. So. I totally agree. I, I, I want the day when everyone just gets to be themselves. That's what I want, right? We just, we are who we are at work. We're just developers. And then at home, we get to be, we get to be what we are there and, and not have to, re- we don't have to represent our intersectional pieces at work. So that's what I want to. And I love that we're getting closer. Anyway, does anyone else have any thoughts they want to share? Uh, I, I would tack on that I think the NG Viking CFP just opened, uh, whether that was today or I just saw a message in the GDE Slack channel about it. And so around that, certainly want to encourage people to get out there and submit for uh, their ideas for NG Vikings. Yep. Uh, I've heard it's a great conference as well. You've been right, Aaron? To Vikings? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a yeah. lot of fun. I've yeah. been too. It's a great group of people. Yeah. yeah, and that's in Copenhagen, I believe. Is that right? It was Oslo last year. this year. Yeah, this year. Oh, it was in Oslo. Nice. They they rotated yeah. around every year, right? Because I think oh, there's cool. like four or five different locations that the organizers were like, we should have it here. So they agreed, I think, to rotate it through nice. each year. So. Okay, cool. Yeah, this year's in Norway. Last year was in Copenhagen. Okay. So, so yeah. Oslo. Nice. Cool Exciting. City. It's exciting. Yeah. So, anyway... All right, everybody. Uh, Ryan, thanks for coming on and being a cool guest. Thanks for letting us bombard you with some questions and sharing your general knowledge about Angular secure, or security and, and our Angular apps. If people have questions, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, you can get a hold of me on Twitter. Uh, it's Ryan Chenke on Twitter. And it's probably the best place to find me, I think. Uh, my website is ryanchenke.com. And those are probably good, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And then to everyone on the panel, you guys are great. Thanks for being here. Even it's probably a little bit getting late for you, Jennifer. Thanks for staying on. <laughs> and uh, Brian, waking up early. And Aaron, Alyssa, thanks for being here and for all the great questions and commentary. And to the listeners, thanks. And we'll see you next time. This show is a production of NGConf, the original Angular conference and home of the Angular community. Our goal is to help grow this framework and this community that we all love. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you get notified of all new episodes. Also, as a favor to us and our sponsors, please share this episode with your fellow developers so that they can come run with us as well. If you have suggestions for show topics, please tweet them and mention at AngularShow in your tweet. We're focused on getting the guests that our listeners want to hear. If you're interested in sponsoring the Angular Show or ng-comp, please reach out to aaron at ng-comp.org. That's A-A-R-O-N at ng-comp.org.